1: And a secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth!
0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition July eighth, 1947.
1: make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And don't forget to purchase MMS directly from us and also our USB drives with all our seasons and bonus material. Just go to our Veritas store for more information. And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. According to Dr. Susan B. Martinez, tonight's special guest, there was an advanced species of little people that covered the face of the earth before the advent of mankind. When mankind started taking over, they started disappearing almost without a trace. Yet traces of a few of them were found. In certain parts of the United States, mounds were found. They contained the bones of tiny, elf-like people. They were brushed off as the graves of children. Yet they showed signs of being middle-aged adults. Cheyenne legend holds that there was a race of people who lived in Baro or underground. They taught the Native Americans about the use of herbs and medicines, plus the use of tools and technology. They were the teachers of mankind. All around the world, there are societies of little people, the Bushmen of the Congo, Negritos in Indonesia, Negrillos in the Philippines, and the Andamans in the continent of South America. There are legends of these little people documented all over the world, ranging from Greek, Roman, Sumerian, Irish, Norse, and Native American. The little people of today live in forests, underground dwellings, and high mountainous areas. As modern humans encroach, they die off, and their numbers become fewer. In the burrows that have been unearthed, advanced tools have been found, indicating that they knew how to build and manufacture tools long before Homo sapiens even appeared. They passed their skills to us. The little people came from an island continent called Pan, also known as Lemuria or Mu, which, like Atlantis, was destroyed in a great flood. The survivors joined everyone on the mainland. Their skin was described as white or almost translucent. You could see through their veins They were people of peace, well-mannered and non-violent due to the absence of weaponry found in all of their burial sites. Their society was egalitarian and their beehive societal structure put priority on the tribe instead of members venturing alone. They were nocturnal dwellers with moon-like eyes. Their women were abducted by the Homo erectus. This hybridization gave way to Homo sapiens, the birth of man. If you want to know how little people had such an important influence throughout history and how pivotal their role was, don't go anywhere. Dr. Susan B. Martinez is coming up next, right now on Veritas. This is Dr. Rita Louise, and you're listening to Veritas Radio. Susan B. Martinez, Ph.D., is a writer, linguist, teacher, paranormal researcher, and recognized authority on the OASB Bible, with a doctorate in anthropology from Columbia University, the author of many books, including Time of the Quickening, and the latest one titled The Lost History of the Little People, Their Spiritually Advanced Civilizations Around the World, and coming in November, a new book titled The Mysterious Origins of a Hybrid Man, Crossbreeding, and the Unexpected Family Tree of Humanity. She is the book review editor for the Academy of Spirituality and Paranormal Studies at and lives in Clayton, Georgia. And directly from Clayton, Georgia, I'm privileged to have Dr. Susan B. Martinez here for the first time on Dice. Hello, Dr. Martinez, and welcome. How are you?
0: Hello, Mel, and thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure, and I understand you're feeling a little bit under the weather, so I am I'm, I, I want to thank you right from the start, uh, the fact that you are continuing with this.
0: The show must go on.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I, li- I like the attitude. Uh, first of all, I read your book a few days ago, and I thoroughly enjoyed it, The Lost History of the Little People. This is one of those topics that have been going back and forth it's mentioned a few times with a lot of our guests, but we've never had an opportunity to discuss it in detail. Uh, the term Homo floresiens, floresiensis uh, comes to mind. But first of all, for those who don't know, let's define the term little people.
0: Uh, it, it means just what it uh, says. Uh, people originally of the stature of three feet tall. Uh, and in today's world, uh, their uh, descendants, their mixed descendants, are um, up to about four foot, four and a half foot, and those are the pygmies and negritos of, of of the world today.
1: Now, the word negritos, of course, if we translate it into Spanish, negritos, it's it's a little black people. Where does the term come from?
0: Well, it originated in the Philippines when the Spanish came in there and mm. discovered that there were uh, tiny people living in the jungle and. And they call them uh, los negritos del Monte, mm-hmm. and um, it's kind of a misnomer because they're not uh, related to Africans in any right. special way.
1: Well, the same thing could be said about the the conquistadors, and you know when they came to the Caribbean and they called the indigenous people indios, uh, just because maybe exactly. the colors it, it was reminiscent to people from India. Is there a correlation here?
0: Well, yeah, it was just kind of a quick uh, naming according to the Western viewpoint. Is that what you're asking?
1: Yes, yes, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, there are, um, besides that, there are, uh, going back to the Philippines, there are some, there is one enclave of uh, little people, um, a very remote, in a very remote region, um called the Aben Lens, and these people are almost white, so we can't really call them negritos. They're very uh, fair of coloring, Uh, so the term is not exactly right, but we use it. The the standard terms in um, uh, anthropology are negritos for the world's uh, little people, most of whom are dark uh, fairly dark-skinned, and negrillos, which is the term they came up with for the pygmies of the Congo.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, somebody like you, what motivated you to look into this specific topic?
0: Um, <laughs> everybody wants to know that. It, it's the most frequent question I've been getting, and I've been trying to give everybody... Um, a um, different answer in order to disguise my uh, real motivation, which will not come out for uh, a little while. But uh, I recognize that this was an area that uh, was never pulled together. Um, there are no books. I mean, I mean, uh, I wrote a book. Uh, one of my uh, early books was on uh, Abraham Lincoln on The Psychic class of Abraham Lincoln, and there I had about 10,000 books to choose from uh, in, for the research part mm-hmm. of the uh, work. Uh, with The Little People, it was just the opposite. There is no book at all that brings together uh, what we know here in the 20th century about the little people. Uh, the only uh, uh, po- uh, possibilities are... Uh, ethnographic uh, monographs on Negritos in particular locations, um, I also felt that it was time to... um, You see, the book before that was uh, kind of about uh, uh, prophecy. And and the books before that... The Quickening. uh, yes and before that I was kind of on a um, stream of books uh, with a a spiritual kind of uh, subject matter, Um, I sort of um, played out on that and really got into what I wanted to, which was uh, history, deep history, and uh, all the misunderstandings that we have nowadays about the ancient past. Um, I think the best starting point Was the little people, because after all, the way my research adds up is that uh, Noah, Noah and the sons of Noah were actually little people Hmm. who did survive a great flood.
1: Now, please, I need you to expand on this because this is this is new to me, too.
0: Okay, um, this brings us back uh, 24,000 years and um, if you 're a person who reads um, books on the on proto history and the unknown past and ancient civilizations pre ancient civilizations, um, you have um, heard a lot about uh, world mythology on the subject of a flood, and uh, I wanted to clarify this because I have uh, some knowledge on the subject, which would make us see things differently than we do now. Uh, uh, All the mythology, including the Bible, talks about a flood, uh, but it doesn't mean, first of all, that it was universal. It was not universal. Uh, What I'm trying to bring out is that it was the submersion of a continent in the Pacific Ocean, and that is... 24,000 years ago, uh, uh, the uh, s- survivors uh, who went off on fi- in five fleets and settled in all the divisions of the world uh, brought the story of the flood with them, and that's why it turns up on a u- universal basis, but it does not mean that the entire world was flooded.
1: Interesting. And you use the word myth as well, which or mythology. And, and I've heard from other researchers who say that the word mythology was, that the actual meaning was the, an affidavit signed by priests and kings. In other words, is, is the word mythology actually more like history? And we need to start demythologizing history.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, uh, anybody who's grappled with mythology, trying to uh, dig out what is historical knows very well that myth and legend and oral history is a fantastic hodgepodge of fact and fiction. Um, So you need to already have a footing or a hypothesis of of the ancient world in order to begin to parse out one from the other. That's what I do. I mean, I go through a myth and I see, I can see one sentence after another that's just, Uh, make-believe stuff. It it was entertainment in the ancient world, so why not? Uh, But then I hit on something that I see is a remnant of uh, historical uh, knowledge.
1: And that's the issue. Because it was oral tradition, this is obviously before the Gutenberg Press, how how do you parse one from the other with certainty?
0: I use um, the baseline of knowledge that I have and I go through it uh, 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 in that way. You know, um, like uh, uh, Native American myth, when you have animals talking and doing magical things, I can, you know, easily eliminate that as entertainment value. Right. Um, and uh, I can't really climb you into my mind and explain it all. But um, I've been uh, studying these things for 30 years, and I have a grasp of what's true and what's uh, not true. So that's how I go through the material.
1: Does the same apply, perhaps, to religious books?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, religion uh, definitely enters into this. And, yes, I do the same with religion. Um, See, Mel... Um, I'm a spiritualist, and uh, I have received uh, knowledge of uh, the spirit world uh, from the OASPE Bible, which is one of my um, uh, Bibles, one of my main uh, sources of information. Then I go out and see if I can confirm or deny it, and, and then along with it I use the most reliable literature I can find. What is the
1: OASPE Bible? Are you there?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm there.
1: Oh, okay. I'm uh, there. W- w- what is the Oaspe Bible?
0: Um, now we're getting into a different um, subject altogether, but um, it's not a problem.
1: We'll come back. Uh,
0: okay, okay. Um, Oaspe is probably the least known of the world's Bibles. Uh, it is a, an authentic work. Uh, I sometimes occasionally I see in print someone who's who uh, dumps on it and uh, in fact <laughs> I was just reading a very um, a, a very ac- accomplished the, I was just reading the book of a very accomplished uh, uh, scholar named uh, L Sprague de Camp does that that name ring any bells sounds familiar yeah. Okay. He wrote in the middle of the um, of the twentieth um, century, and I just finished reading this this morning. Um, he is was one of the few who was familiar with Osp, and uh, he spent about a page and a half describing it, and um, he called it an ersatz. Uh, Bible, Well, that is not true. It is an authentic uh, set of scriptures uh, 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 with the distinction that they are recent. They came out in the late 19th century. They came to us by process of automatic uh, writing. It was actually automatic typewriting. Uh, This was in the early 1880s. Um, it happened in uh, New York City. The amanuensis was a gentleman named John Newbro. He was a dentist and doctor, and lots of other things. He was also a clairvoyant. He 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 was put by the angel world in training for the uh, for receiving for transmitting the uh, uh, the manuscript. He was put in a ten year cycle of training. He had to become vegetarian. He had to offer pro bono work in his medical field, and so so forth and so on. I happened to write a biography of Nupro. It's called The Hidden Prophet. In a similar way, oaspe is the Hidden Bible. Um, yeah, how, how do we...
1: Uh, what what's the word I want to use? How do we compare, uh, say, take the King James Bible versus the the Oaspe New Bible?
0: Um, Oaspe is similar to some of the world's Bibles, but it's uh, unique in its own way. I'll give you one example of how it's different from any Bible that I ever heard of. Uh It has uh, 33 books within it, separate books, um, mostly chronological. Uh, But what I'm trying to point out is that in many of the books, the page is divided by a horizontal line across the middle. Okay? And so it has an upper book and a lower book. The upper book deals with the... Affairs of, uh, the, uh, heaven, heaven world, the, basically the, uh, gods and goddesses, angels, sub-gods, lords, and, uh, also the false gods, um, administering, uh, heaven and earth. Um, the lower book deals with what was happening on earth at the same time. Let me give you an example. Uh, the book of Ath. Which covers a period of three thousand years uh, is the upper book for the period that uh, began twenty-four thousand years ago. Uh, therefore, the lower book, uh, uh, under literally under the book of Of deals with uh, mortals on Earth and the sinking of the continent of Pan in the Pacific ocean. Talamuria? Yes. Okay. Um, That's one example. So uh, the Bible runs in in that way with an understanding of what the uh, gods were doing at that time and simultaneously what was happening with the races of men on earth. The upper book and the lower book.
1: Very, very interesting. This is the first time I've heard about this this book, and it it includes a lot of uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. And I've come to the realization by speaking, you know, speaking with other researchers who have, for example, visited the Vatican. And one of them, Dolores Cannon, who was there recently, and a guide took her to certain sections of the Vatican that had a lot of of Egyptian. Artifacts, and she asked him, "You know, why, why do we have so much of of artifacts from Egypt here?" And the the guide essentially said, "Well, because Catholic religion is derived from from Egypt, and we had to change it so that it becomes more digestible, easier to understand for the common man and woman." What's your opinion of this? Oh gosh, I
0: I don't know, Mel.
1: That falls outside of of your, your realm of expertise, I guess?
0: Uh, yeah, I guess.
1: Okay. Well, let's go back to, to the matter at hand, the lost uh, history of little people. Your goal, correct me if I'm wrong, is to identify homo sapiens as a pygmy as that lost race that brought humanity to the heights, not only of its material culture, but also of its spiritual potential. Why haven't we heard of them before, Dr. Martinez, and what are the reasons?
0: Uh, Well, uh, one reason is that uh, the standard model uh, for um, prehistory does not uh, allow it. Um, uh, The standard model says that um, knowledge was uh, developed or evolved That's getting into the Darwinian uh, thing. That uh, knowledge was uh, evolved and then finally had a great uh, burst uh, in the time of the Neolithic uh, Revolution when they had agriculture and then everything started to um, uh, accelerate and cities popped up and astronomy and mathematics and navigation and blah blah blah, that everything started then, however, the uh scheme that I'm looking at and working with has uh proto historical civilizations that arose and uh, uh were wiped away or died died away there there was uh, for example uh standard models as agriculture began. 10,000 years ago, and I'm finding uh, good research that shows agriculture uh, 20,000 years ago, agriculture 30,000 years ago. These are things that are unaccounted for in a standard model and not acceptable.
1: Well, that's that's the issue, and, and I've read... Go ahead, sorry.
0: I um, um, don't apologize, because I'm the one who's interrupting. Um, I did have a thought about your previous question and I'll just uh, answer by saying this when you were talking about the uh, Vatican with e- Egyptian uh, heirlooms um, <laughs> you know who I thought of uh, one of my favorite um, fiction writers is uh, Daniel uh, Silva have you mm-hmm. ever heard of him
1: That that is not the same as the, the, the sil- Silva method is it
0: no no, um, this is an individual named uh, Daniel Silva, and he writes um, kind of espionage stories, most of them concerned with the um, uh, Israeli uh, uh, in, uh, intelligence and counterintelligence force. It's contemporary, but he gets into wonderful historical stuff, and I have read in more than one of his novels about why the Vatican is collecting... Uh, heirlooms that don't seem to belong to them. <laughs> it was just uh, and Silva has a lot of insight on it. I I don't.
1: That's fine. That's fine. I'm glad you're mentioning and you're bringing this new name to me because I was not familiar with him but I'd definitely like to look into it even though that he, he writes science fiction or, or, or fiction actually. Uh, I bet you you can find a lot of truth behind it and yes I know this is not an area that you discuss, but when we look at the obelisk outside of the Vatican in St Peter's Square and we look at all the obelisks around the world in London in Washington DC it really makes you wonder why the connection between that I mean we've heard of and this is again stepping outside of of the topic but the city of London being That's an okay. independent being, being an independent city uh, yeah. has an obelisk then then you know it's considered the 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 uh, capital of, of money in the world then the capital of spirituality, we have the Vatican, and then we have the capital of the military might in the United States, uh, Washington, D.C. But going back to the some of the reasons why we don't seem to be seeing the little people mentioned in our history books, could it be that they used cremation, and that's why we don't see that many fossil remains?
0: Yes, indeed. Uh, that's one of the reasons they are not uh, so prominent in the fossil record, whereas we have collected bones of uh, larger people, of Neanderthals, of Cro-Magnon men, and even in Africa of uh, Australopithecus and some of the very earliest, most uh, primitive uh, forms of men. Yes, uh, the uh, pattern of, I found that the pattern of cremation uh, entered Europe uh, uh, in the same pattern as as little people entered, uh, it became almost a standard practice in the uh, Bronze Age. Nevertheless, there are some uh, burials uh, in small coffins with small, very refined uh, skeletons uh, that have disappeared through the cracks. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yes. It could also be that a lot of the, 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 ancient ones around the world who make mention of little people in many continents, talk about them as, as men of peace. Do they say that? Or is it true? Because a lot of the remains are found without weapons. Does that make him, you know, people of peace?
0: That's a good point. And, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because it, uh, it spirals out to a, a certain level of philosophy. It brings us to the question of uh, whether uh, mankind is inherently aggressive, uh, which has been a dominant uh, belief in Western society, mostly, I believe, because Western society is is so aggressive. Um, it has been held by some of the most important psy- psychology theories, that uh that we ha- have an inborn streak of violence, however, when you get into the histories of the little people and their descendants, you find that uh that there are exceptions to the rule, and so it's not uh, in our genes so much as in our tendencies uh the uh, little people of Central Africa, the Pygmies, have may have no warfare.
1: Right, but you say that's, a, that's an interesting point: genes or tendencies. Oh, yeah. Some people say that we had that in our DNA to be w- the, the, the warlike attitude that the human beings have. Some say that it's innately in our DNA. Others say that it's because of the the environment. In which somebody grows up in. Which one is it then? Uh,
0: it is the environment. Um, and uh, it, it's really time for the debate uh, to be settled. You know, right now we're in the middle of the uh, gun law debate. And so it's very much with us. These questions are very contemporary in, the, in their own way. Um, you know, uh, the availability of, uh, of weapons. Not only that, the, I mean, uh, I, let me give an example. I watch a movie every Monday night with a neighbor of mine. We have a dinner theater every Monday night. And so we get whatever movies look good. And, you know, they're full of violence. This is what children see. This is what we grow up with. I I think it's sheer sophistry to deny that it is the environment that promotes the uh, attitude.
1: It desensitizes a human being to watch. See, this is, and I don't want to get into political speech here, but to me, it's so hypocritical that Hollywood, which is very Pro gun control, for example, but yet they are the ones who really profess all <laughs> this this culture.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep.
1: So you know we seem to be desensitizing uh, humanity when you when you watch so much. And what's what's the term that they use in Hollywood? If it bleeds, it leads. Usually you hardly see any movie that's uplifting, that makes you really feel good. It's hardly, because they say those are not the movies that make money. And, you know, going back to the the, the little people and the fact that they, you know, usually in their burial grounds, you don't find that many weapons. At the same time, because they were little, wouldn't they have needed to defend themselves from the, you know, the taller ones?
0: Well, um, that's one of the reasons... They, uh, built mounds and lived on the mounds. They were built in such a way that they were, uh, inaccessible. They had ladders that they pulled in at night. Um, and I do, so I uh, devote a, a, chapter, chapter seven, uh, to the mounds so that we can understand, uh, how they lived. Um, uh, primarily it protected themselves against the, um, uh, uh the dangerous uh, beasts that roamed uh, the earth in the Mesolithic, they were a, a bit larger and uh, more dangerous than they, they are today. It protected them against animals, but uh, also against uh, any kind of invasion. However, uh, if you follow the uh, histories that are in Oaspi, uh, you discover that the large people who were called Ihuans uh Iwans, and the little people were called I the large people were called Ihuans. They were basically the Cro Magnon uh type, the large ones. They became at a certain point in time the protectors of the little people. That was in America. Uh the little people were living on the mounds. There were still thousands of them along the landscape, mostly uh in the Midwest. Um, the islands were uh, uh, in a way worshipped the little people because they were the priests of the ancient world. They were the uh, uh, the learned men and also these uh, spiritual men. Uh, the islands uh took on the role of their protectors, and so for a period of time they they were uh, protected by the large people and not hunted down by them, although there is another phase. In history, where they were uh, hunted down and exterminated.
1: Now, let me go back to what you said about the mounds. I, I definitely want to explore this because we see mounds all over the world, including in the United States. But I'm not a war strategist, but I do know that one of the goals for any any anybody in war is to actually capture mountains or, 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 you know, to be on top, because that that's the way you keep the enemy at bay. Is this why they built these mounds, to protect themselves?
0: Um, yes, and to, um, to uh, live apart. Um, they were a covenanted people. They were the first people to have any religion on Earth. And part of their covenant with the higher powers was... Um, to uh, keep their uh, DNA separate um, so that they uh, would uh, not be lost, you know, uh, in the the blend, and so that they could remain the teachers of uh, humanity. Well, that worked for a while. It worked to a certain extent, but uh, to a different extent, there was also a good deal of uh, intermarriage.
1: So they were, they wanted to be homogeneous to preserve their their race.
0: They, yes, they uh, were supposed to live apart and be a, a separate people. You see a certain amount of this uh, even in the um, Holy Bible, where um, the uh, Canaanites were supposed to, uh, where the the uh, patriarchs were not supposed to mix and intermarry with the uh, Canaanites, and there are various passages. Uh, in that Bible, about uh, chastising them for mixing and stuff like that.
1: Now, since we're talking about bodies, body size here now, why has body size been? Why has it been overlooked by physical anthropologists? We don't seem to hear a lot about sizes, uh, body sizes.
0: You know, that reminds me of what um, um, in Africa when they uh, dug up uh, Lucy. Does that sound familiar? Yes, uh, yes, yes, definitely. Lucy was one of the um, uh, news-making um, fossil men, in this case fossil women, uh, who, who were uh, discovered in Africa. This was in uh, the early 1970s, and um, there was a big hoopla uh, about it because it was a near-complete uh, skeleton uh, until that... Uh, time, they were just getting a finger here and a leg bone there, but they got to 40% of her skeleton, and she was in the class of uh, hominids called Australopithecus, which was just about the earliest form of man that they found, very primitive, long arms, sloping uh, forehead, chinless, pot-bellied, and so forth. However, she had some uh, modern traits uh, mixed in. But I guess what I'm trying to say is when they put Lucy's bones together, one of the, uh, this was uh, Don Johansson, uh, the anthropologist who found her, and him or, or one of his partners said something like, This little midget will mess up everything, you know, because she was only three and a half feet tall. Like an ape. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. that wasn't exactly the the uh, reason. The reason was that um, she was uh, short and um, had some um, modern traits mixed in with the most ape-like uh, traits. They were mixed. That was another hybrid. And, you see, um, the paleontologists don't recognize... Hybridization. Their game is called evolution. That one type evolved into the higher type and that, oh, that one evolved into the next higher type and that this, that's the vision of Darwinism, that it all evolved. Uh, what I'm saying is just the opposite really, that these types are fixed, were fixed, but that they interbred And therefore, we find mixed morphology.
1: Now, how did they determine, or Johansson, how did he determine that it was a female? Did he have any mitochondrial or nuclear DNA to determine that?
0: Um, um, I'm not, first of all, that was in 1972, so I'm not sure they had the uh, DNA, but it's usually uh, the pelvis, uh, the pelvic bone that helped them determine whether it's male or female, and probably. Uh, cranial characteristics as well.
1: Right, right. I'm, I'm just looking at some. Uh, there are some other scientists who are criticizing Johansson for making that assumption because uh, the size of the pelvic uh, opening. But anyway,
0: they're just jealous. Uh, Dawn yes. had a lot of uh, media attention with that with that skeleton. Isn't
1: that the case with a lot of scientists? Uh, You you have a finding, all of a sudden they descend upon you and and start criticizing you. Uh, But civilizations rarely die without leaving any trace. Did the little people leave a lot of trace around the world?
0: Um, Are you talking about um, uh, tangible things or intangible things? Both. Well, yes, uh, that's how I managed to write uh, such a big book, so chock full of facts. You know, it's one of the most um um thick books I ever uh, wrote. I mean, cons- every chapter is just jam-full of uh, facts because I was finally bringing together the um very positive evidence for the existence of a, a former race of man that was uh, three and a half feet tall, and enlightened, and and so yes, it's in their role as teachers and as priests that they disseminated knowledge to the rest of the human race. And um, in uh, many parts of the book, I'm able to uh, find uh, local histories where uh, the people themselves, whether it's the people in uh, uh, Poland or the people in Malaysia who uh, traced the the people who taught them agriculture were little people. The people who taught them uh, about these stars and the sun and the moon were little people. There's a lot of that in the book, and yes, so uh, that's the job I took on, and I think I uh, showed it's something we have to deal with now.
1: You certainly did, and and you're right when you say that This is the only book, and it is a long book, yes, but it's filled with information. I've never been able to find one that has all into one book. You see bits and pieces here and there with other uh, authors, but never in one place. But going back to, and this is the part that I'm, I'm still puzzling me, if the little people, and I guess the term little people is more of a term to generalize because they look different around the world, but why is it? That we don't see it in our history books again. Is it because of the cremation? Is it because that science does not want to admit? Just like they, we go to a lot of a, the polar opposite. Take the giants, for example. We hardly see any scientists, anthropologists talking about the existence of giants walking the earth thousands of years ago.
0: Yeah, right. There was a period of giantism on the earth, and men were uh, twice as tall, but uh, I think that period was about 30,000 years ago, and it ended. Um, There are some wonderful books on giantism, uh, and on the giants that walk the earth. Um, Yeah, it's the same thing, Mel. Um, The uh, standard model has things uh, such and so, and uh, the material uh, brought in by giants or by uh, little people can't be explained by the standard model.
1: Who do you think, well, I, I, I'm trying to, to phrase this question properly because you're a scientist, correct? How do you think these two, the, the little people and the giants, where do you think they came from?
0: Um, uh, to a certain, I, I, I think that there was a phase in um, uh, the atmosphere of the Earth. Um, I I think it might have been about 35,000 years ago when uh, giantism uh, was uh, just uh, cropped cropped up not only in humans but in animals and in plants. And there's a a bit of good research in that area. Uh, Very, uh, very large animals and uh, humans. We need to uh, take uh, the uh, hy- hybrids more seriously. Um, when I was studying um, hybridization, I found that there's uh, so- something called heterosis. Heterosis. And this is the tendency for um, uh, uh, parents uh, of different stocks. when when a mother and a father come from different stocks and produce a hybrid offspring, that offspring has a tendency toward greater strength and greater size. That has a scientific name. It's called heterosis. And so it's a function of uh, hybridization. And so that's what happened on this earth um, about uh, oh, maybe sixty thousand, seventy, maybe sixty thousand years ago, when the i who were the little people, um, crossbred. bred. They weren't supposed to, but they did, intermarry with the uh, Earth people, which is kind of an animal man, which, in a way, corresponds to the Australopithecus in Africa. When this cross breeding took place. Um, a larger offspring was created. Um, in some of the textbooks, that race of man would be called Homo erectus. Uh, Homo erectus came in a, a variety of sizes, but some of them were huge, like the ones they found uh, in China and elsewhere um uh, it came about through heterosis through hybridization the surprising uh, surprisingly large uh, stature of men
1: when you say hybrid, hybridization are you simply referring to the mere act of sexual intercourse that creates a, a new species or are you talking about a perhaps an intelligent species that created the hybridization by more scientific, more than scientific oh, no, no, ways. No, no, no. no.
0: Okay. No. Yeah, the first one, definitely. Um, there was, an, I don't believe in any of these theories of genetic uh, manipulation. All of this happened in a very natural um, way. There was no uh, plan. In fact, it broke the plan when the little people married out. And where do you
1: think they. Evolved to be more spiritual beings
0: um, give me that question again and, and slightly <sighs> reword it and I'll try to uh, answer it sure
1: I'm just trying to understand how no problem, this species no the, how this species became so spiritual oh, and, oh. and non warlike oh
0: um you mean the little people
1: the little people, especially if they if they lived surrounded by warlike uh, species,
0: okay. Um, the uh, Earth man, There were different races on Earth. They coexisted. Uh, there were the little people who were peaceful um, and spiritual, and there was um, the uh, the Homo erectus type with genes from the very earliest uh, earth man, the type that still lived in the trees and had long arms and hairy bodies. They were men, but they did not have speech. Um, they did not have awareness. They lived really like animals. Animals. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm setting some groundwork, and, and here I am. I set the groundwork, then I forget what I'm uh, <laughs> answering about. But um, uh, the question was... Just uh,
1: essentially the spirituality part. You know, these little right. people, you know, they didn't... We haven't found any, any weaponry around them. It's all spirituality, yet they were surrounded by other species that were more violent,
0: um, maybe I should backtrack because you you want to get to the um, you want to get to the bottom of it, so I better do that. And yes. And um, I, I can take a lot of heat if I give my beliefs, but like I said, I'm a spiritualist. I think that uh, a spirit is as much as a part of us as flesh and bones. I mean, to me, that it's as real as flesh and bones. So. Um, I'm following the story out of Oaspe, but I also find this in other traditions like the uh, Kabbalah and uh, some of the uh, uh, jungle people with traditions of where we came from uh, in the first place. Uh, So I'm going to uh, tell uh, how I believe the little people came uh, to exist on earth. And it's not by... What I'm saying is not by um, ancient astronauts, but something similar. Um, this is the scenario that I repeat in the book and that I believe is true. Uh, the um, the gods wanted to see that Earth man uplifted to become a true man, um, uh, to uh, get his uh, get his a uh, spiritual connection. Um, the 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 animal man was not spiritually connected. He was just like an animal. He knew less than an animal because animals are supplied with uh, uh, what we call instinct. Anyway, uh, the plan was afoot to uh, inspire this uh, earth man uh, toward higher things and toward learning. And so uh, volunteers were called for in the spirit world And uh, those who came forth and volunteered to uplift uh, Asu, is how uh, the term I use for the animal man, to uplift Asu man, floated down to earth and took on corporeal bodies. It was the time in the earth when such things were possible. It was called the time of Simu. It was the time of generation. The earth was different in that, in that age. Uh, they, uh, these angels had been, the ones who volunteered, it turned out, the ones who volunteered had been, uh, had died as infants on other worlds. They were the spirits of, uh, infants who had died on other worlds. And so, uh, they had no experience. Uh, well, here they were, and they took on corporeal bodies on the earth, and they encountered a man and it, instead of uplifting them, which they really were not prepared to do, they uh, cohabited with them, they mated with them, and the offspring were the little people. Um, that's it in a nutshell of the uh, very beginning of the thing. And the little people were instructed to um, to keep apart, to remain the teachers uh, of Asuman. And, and uh, but they did not uh, keep their part of the bargain. There are several scenarios uh, that I tell in the book of how they broke their vows and in turn made it uh with uh with the uh asuman and th- what they produced was what i mentioned before the um homo uh, erectus type um th- therefore uh, homo erectus had a certain uh ratio of uh a, a, a divine uh, divine blood in him, because the, the Ihens, the little people, were 50 percent divine and 50 percent uh, earthly. Um, when they mixed uh, with the Earth people, uh, the resulting races had a certain ratio themselves from the Aihen parent of of, uh, the uh, spiritual faculty. And this went on through the generations that um, that potential was implanted in all the races of man because of all the intermixing that took place. In fact, it can be studied as a kind of a science what the exact uh, ratios were. And I I do a bit of that uh, in the book. And there was mixing and mixing through all the eons so that by uh, the time of the uh, modern era, or let's say the last um, cycle, which should be the, uh, the last 3,000 years, um, the human race is 100% c- uh, capable of uh, spiritual attainment.
1: Now let me ask you, with the mixture of the little people with the Homo erectus, and you know, for those who are wondering, the Homo erectus did have some uh, social skills. They were the first one to, to the first home in it to to live in a hunter gatherer society. They used uh, tools, they used fire. So, you know, they were not animals. They had some some awareness. Yes. But but still the little people had more uh, they had the spirituality, they were smarter. Do you think the race of little people de-evolved by mixing with the Homo erectus?
0: Uh, do I think the race of little people... what
1: De-evolved by mixing oh. with the Homo erectus.
0: Oh, um, yeah, in some cases it uh, did uh, bring them down. Um, but um, it, it served the purpose of uplifting uh, humanity.
1: Right. One one lost but another one gained, which was the Homo erectus.
0: Yeah. Um uh, many branches of the little people became uh extinct because of mixing. Um and the final they finally became extinct uh in America about four thousand years ago. But that wasn't from mixing, it was from uh it was it there have been dark times on the earth, and it, the earth was passing through a dark time, and the little people uh, lost the desire to propagate, and just uh, their race ended. Now, how
1: does that happen? Is there, isn't there an innate desire, maybe even deep in our DNA, that we must procreate to to preserve
0: I don't think You know, so. the race? I mean, no? um, I mean, I've known enough gay people to know that, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, to know that that's not uh, the case.
1: That, that's true, too. That's true, too. And maybe, you know, uh, there are consequences like, you know, take uh, uh, Chernobyl, take Fukushima now. There are so many issues. Even right now, I've, heard, I've read some, some estimates that in the next 70 years, the sperm count, of men in our planet is going to go down dramatically to the point that we may become extinct in the not-too-distant future.
0: Um, you know, um, I see the geneticists throwing around a lot of theories that I don't think are valid uh, and um, are just uh, c- completely speculative. I follow Uh, more um, the idea of human destiny and uh, some of the uh, prophetic numbers i worked with in the uh, Time of the Quickening book, uh, to understand that we're about halfway through our unfoldment here on Earth, and we've got a ways to go.
1: Sure, and that's a very positive way to think. I'm also thinking of that way as well, but all we have to do is look at history. And usually when we see a more advanced civilization come in contact with a weaker, weaker in the perspective of the conquerors. Let's take the conquistadors, for example. They came to the new, quote-unquote, the new world. In my opinion, Christopher Columbus just didn't discover America. He just opened the route for, for Europe. But they came here, and we know what happened to the indigenous people. They merged into them. The weaker one essentially disappeared. Could the same be said about the little people?
0: Um, the, the little people were uh, weak um, in the sense of warfare and in the sense of, of physical uh, right. prowess. They were very sprightly and very uh, active and energetic people. Uh, but uh, spiritualism uh, tends to make us weak. Um it's I'm I'm sorry I said that but um I believe it's it's somewhat true. We um uh, don't re- relate to the uh, strong points in the world and we uh, we relate more to the uh uh invisible side of things.
1: Which is a good thing and it's a bad thing as well because that potentially and not potentially but that could actually have Decimated entire cultures because of that, because they were not ready to confront. Again, I keep using the word warlike, the warlike attitudes of other civilizations. Yeah,
0: Um, there are two powers: there's the spiritual power and the uh, physical power. And what is meant to be in the destiny I was talking about a minute ago is that they come into balance. And that is what the right. uh, future uh, prophecy is all about, coming into balance with those two uh, aspects that we uh, possess.
1: I absolutely think that you are onto something here, because there's always that. In the past, we saw the, the coexisting of, of, of spirituality and technology. But I want to get your take on this. Do you think that in the past... We exceeded technology more than spirituality and we wiped ourselves out again and again and we seem to be repeating that cycle
0: no I don't and um, I've been trying to organize my thinking lately to um, present an argument against that uh, line of uh, thinking I I don't uh, believe in all these things they say about Atlantis and uh and and all all those uh powers and uh f- f- the the fl- the power of flight and i think those things are pretty uh, fanciful elements in ancient doctrines uh i don't uh, The, uh, I don't see humanity wiped out at any point. I don't even believe in the ice ages. I'm researching and writing about that right now. I think that's another standard model that is, uh, incorrect. No, uh, all that happened in the, uh, past of the races of man uh, is warfare. Uh, warfare that wiped out, and the little people themselves were wiped out uh, 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 25,000 years ago, were, had been wiped out uh, uh, by the barbarians on every continent of the earth except the continent of Pan in uh in uh, the Pacific Ocean. Uh, however, they were persecuted there as well, and they were hiding out in the mountains. And this is where the uh, flood stories come in, and a lot of the elements uh, of the flood story trace to what happened. Uh, for example, you find in myths in different parts of the world um, a tribal myths uh, that say uh, the, the good people were forewarned of the flood and prepared uh, to make arks and vessels to escape it. Well, this is precisely what happened in the continent of Pan. The little people were hiding out uh, in their spirit chambers. Uh, they learned from the angels. They were instructed to prepare for the sinking of the continent of Pan, and they did build five fleets of ships to provide uh, for their escape.
1: Now, who do you think, or, or how did they get this information? Was it because they were spiritual, they had and for some chambers. reason?
0: Uh, they had oracle houses. They had temples. Mm -hmm. Uh, we can, uh, find them, uh, through, uh, the archaeology. We can find these, uh, the ones that I concentrated on were the, uh, toloi, um, which, uh, are, you find them still in Syria. Uh, but, uh, you can, these were, uh, beehives. Chambers. Um, they were just uh, round uh, dome domes with no windows, and uh, very often with a, a kind of a corridor extending out. Even the American Indian sweat lodge is just like that. It's dome-like. It's closed. It's dark, and it's got a corridor, which is part of the ritual of building it. Um, Okay, Um, the toloi is uh, maybe a Greek word, I'm not sure. Um, We find them all over the Near East and also in in other locations uh, uh, closed up. You see, they had to conduct their uh, spiritual ceremonies in complete darkness. Um, there's a study there uh, of the darkness, and there there are uh, in, uh, American Indians and Mayas today who will tell you about the tradition of uh, conducting this, these ceremonies in the dark. Uh, and they have been found archaeologically, but the archaeologists say we don't know what they are. Maybe they were granaries, maybe they were this, maybe they were that. Um, but... Um, I think I know uh, what they were. They were the Oracle Chambers of the Ancients. And um, this was a regular part of uh, the little people life, to commune. And they learned many things. They learned how to mine. They learned how to farm. They learned healing uh, techniques uh, from their uh, angel mentors.
1: It's interesting that you use the word beehive because... I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Michael Tellinger, but Adam's calendar in South Africa, some of the areas that were found had chambers like beehives. And that leads me to the next question. Do you think they they lived almost as bees, like a, 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 a beehive mind that tap, tapped into a centralized source?
0: Maybe so. Maybe it's a good analogy because it's a social network that exists for the welfare of the network and not right. uh, not so uh, individual oriented as we are today. And this is this is an area.
1: I'm glad we're talking about this. And we'll take a a, a a one and only intermission so so that you can recalibrate on your side. But when we think of today, we think of free will. We think of People want it to be more, I don't want to say so, uh, service to self. Some people call that a positive. But there's something inside me that thinks, if we behave like bees, maybe things would not be the way they are today because we would have the collective, and I'm not a collectivist first of all, so anybody who's thinking that I am, but just thinking of the whole as opposed to the individual, wouldn't that be a positive for the entire planet?
0: Absolutely. I think that I think that way myself. I think uh, individualism has maxed out, and that again we need to find a balance between the individual and the welfare of the group as as a whole. Uh, so, so we we don't realize it, but selfishness has become the the enemy. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. And again, you you disagree with all the ancient alien theories. Uh, The Pyramid of Abydos has those hieroglyphs there that show what looks to be a helicopter, a plane, but how about the Vimanas? What's your take on the Vimanas?
0: Well, I'm... I'm aware of what you're talking about, but, you know, um, when the Ethereans, that's the, um, the uh, spirit people, the high-raised uh, spirit people in the world beyond, when they uh, want to uh, survey a planet, they build e- 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 Etherean ships, they build fire ships uh, that uh, today we call UFOs. Um, it's possible that uh, these have been called... Um, aircraft by the ancients.
1: That's right. And that leads me to the question of what happened to the technology, what happened to the teachings. I understand that it was all oral tradition, but we see so many similarities between, say, the Egyptians and the Mayan, Aztecs, the Incas. I want to talk about this when we return to see if there was a... Connection between all these little people around the world because we find in your book that they had a lot of similarities. And to me, my conclusion is that they must have gotten a lot of this knowledge from somewhere where they had been connected before. But tell the audience how to get uh, in touch with your work, buy your books.
0: Um, I guess they have to go to Amazon, like anything else, or through my publisher, uh, Inner Traditions or to the bookstore in town.
1: Or they can go to our website, which is linked to your book as well. Folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with Dr. Susan B. Martinez. This is a fascinating conversation. And When we come back, we'll explore even more. It's one of those things, folks. We have to know our true origins. And why has this information been wiped out from our history books? It puzzles me. It's almost as if somebody out there, we've heard about the... The winners, they're responsible to, for writing the, the history or rewriting history. And I want to explore this when we come back. Don't go anywhere. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. We'll be right back. Thank you very much for listening to the first segment of this interview. We will continue with segment two with our special guest in the Veritas member section. Just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with segment 2 in the number section. Enjoy. This is Joshua Shapiro, the Crystal Skull Explorer. You're listening to Veritas Radio with my good buddy Mel.